0: assembly line an nes homebrew podcast i'm one of your hosts kevin from Kahan games
1: and i'm bo from soul goose productions and we're here to talk about homebrews
0: now the past two episodes uh have been completely focused on the nestev uh competition and we are back to our normal format now
1: so uh everyone welcome back yeah you know we took some time to sort of cover the competition in a way that hadn't been done before but uh yeah, it feels good to be back to just playing some games and talking about, uh, you know, what I just did Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, it's going to feel good to get back to being able to focus just
0: on one game at a time. So what are we talking about this time? Well, you know, I think the past, you know, throughout the various episodes we've done, but especially like during the competition episodes, we've touched on sort of labeling various games um, as licensed quality. And I think maybe it would be a good idea for us to maybe go into detail of what we mean when we say licensed quality. I would agree.
1: Uh, especially with the next two episodes coming up cuz in my mind they would be very much licensed quality. And so yeah, I guess uh where do we start with that?
0: Well, let me stop us I guess before we even get started because when we say licensed quality like when you think of games like Silent Service, which maybe aren't the most exciting games that have ever come out for the system, like, that's a licensed game, right? I don't know what you're talking about. I have, like, ten copies. <laughs> I think everyone does. That's why they're flooded all over the internet. Like, how did so many people buy that game? I don't understand. Ah, uh, I don't know if
1: the world's ever going to know.
0: Well, maybe that's, an, that's that's you know, subject for another episode. Um, But even like games like Jaws that like maybe don't get enough like positive attention like there are so many licensed games and I think maybe you know even with the Atari into the Nintendo there's a lot of licensed games that might be considered shovelware. So when we call a homebrew licensed quality like I guess how are we
1: describing it? We tend to mean sort of the best of the NES's life cycle. So games like you know Mario Brothers or Mario 3. Little Samson's, Gargoyle's Quest, uh, Dragon Wars, Final Fantasy, the the classics. The games you remember, the games that sort of defined the limits of the NES and what made the NES a great console to begin with or back in the day. So
0: when we're saying a homebrew is licensed
1: quality, we're saying that it's good stuff. We mean that yeah, it's it's got everything that the best of the the library had, but it's it's being done today. Okay. So when we were looking at like Project Blue a couple episodes back for the Nest Dev competition it was like well it's it's almost licensed quality you know it uses it's got sort of the physics from Mario and it's got great graphics great sound it's it's got almost everything that you know smb had except you know it went screen by screen instead of scrolling and um you know it wasn't quite as large with as many worlds enemies stuff like that like so there's always that's generally the point of comparison is different games throughout the library smb is always a good one because you know that was one of the first defining games for the console you don't hear people you know going that's a lot like nuts and milk (laughs)
0: <laughs> and a lot of times it's not even a fair or really like a true comparison because games like zelda you know which zelda is definitely considered one of the top tier licensed games like it didn't even have scrolling it was a screen by screen game right
1: well it's always kind of a you know a pick and choose yeah so zelda didn't have scrolling but you know scrolling isn't the defining feature of a licensed game it's you know graphics gameplay sound uh, memorability It's, you know, a game has to have so many hit high levels on so many different parts. And so for a game to hit licensed quality, what we mean is that it's, you know, hitting at least, you know, four of the five categories of what makes a game great.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's not often that a game sort of does everything right, because usually there's Maybe not a super shortcoming, but maybe the graphics aren't quite as good as they could be on a homebrew, or maybe the music's a little bit lacking. Um, but we've had the the good fortune of being able to focus on, on some homebrews that really, really could be um, considered license quality. And I think that if you sort of took a time machine back to the early 90s and maybe put these games in the stores, I think that they would fit right in.
1: Well, that's the hard part. If if the year was 1986 and you're up against silent service, yeah, I'd take Battle Kid in the heartbeat. <laughs> like, come on. But, you know, that cuts both ways. On the one hand, you know, you're comparing yourself to 776 games or whatever, and, you know, 500 of them are garbage. They're not garbage, but, you know, they're not the best. But then you're comparing yourself to the, you know... 50 that are amazing. And so it pushes you to do better, but it also gives you some sort of unrealistic expectations about what you should be doing with your time.
0: Yeah, and it's getting tougher and tougher, I think, because as, you know, these projects trickle out, the the collectors and the enthusiasts are seeing, "Oh, homebrew creators are getting to this level." Now they just assume all of the homebrew creators are at this level, and maybe, like, is that fair? Like, the people that are just starting out now, are they given a fair shot to sort of get their feet set and get their bearings?
1: Well, that's the hard part, yeah. We're now comparing ourselves with each other, not just against the licensed library. And, yeah, you know, if if it is your first game, you know, how do you stack up against somebody who it's their, you know, 10th game? How many have you done, Kevin? 10? 11? <laughs> I've lost count. <laughs> oh, geez. so many. So many have yeah. lost Well, count. I mean, but wow. how many of them were good, you know? Well, I don't know. Yeah, they do the Peaks.
0: Well, <laughs> I think that people remember the Sneaking Peaks more than the games that they should remember. Man, yeah, I'm going to make sure they do. Yeah, well, you and everyone else, it seems.
1: Yeah, so I mean, do we have do we have the space in the homebrew community for both to coexist? A game like Rob, you know, many years ago when he was first starting out did Tic-Tac-Toe, and his newest game is, you know, a pseudo 3D dungeon crawler. Like, how do you compare those two? Uh
0: I don't know, you know, I I personally like different games for different moods, you know, there are times when I want to sit down and just play a quick game of tic-tac-toe and I'll be perfectly happy, and honestly, a lot of times I find the games that maybe have some more shortcomings, I find them more endearing to play, like... It's it's great to release a game that's flawless on all levels, like that's what we all strive for, but, you know, when too many of those start coming out, it's the ones that are a little bit more unique and have a little bit more personality that I think are going to start standing out a little bit more.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you can have so much polish and so much technical prowess, but if the game isn't made with that sense of love and fun, like, it falls flat. But I, th- I think
0: it's going to be interesting to see the community develop and... Like what direction it starts taking because I think that a lot of developers, um, because there are a lot of homebrew developers for the NES now and it's it's a great time to be involved in the community. But I think that more and more of them are sort of starting to find their niche and I think that it's going to be interesting to see how... Each individual person's projects, like how they compare to their previous projects, how they compare to each other.
1: Um and overall it's just gonna be a lot of fun. Well that is something that's sort of interesting too, is you see individual developers grow. And you you can only do that if they take the time and have the sort of the guts to release these kind of littler projects that you know, are learning projects. The ones that yeah, get you don't them going. To, you don't just come out of the
0: woodwork and release a super bat puncher, right? well <laughs> that may be a bad example
1: it's very much not the norm i would say yeah yeah most people you know they start off small they're very public about it they you know build as they go but you know some people they only do big projects derek from gradual games you know he's done namalos and alia side scroller and then a zelda like like that's pretty yeah. big I think
0: that as someone who's been around for a while, um, I would almost encourage people not to just go big from the start. Like I think that sort of starting small, focusing on, I don't know, like mess up. Like you have to figure out how not to do things before you figure out the right way to do things. And um, I don't know, I've done plenty of things the wrong way. um, And I'm still (laughs) doing things the wrong way. Brian tells me every single time I release a game and I refuse to change the way I do my sprite routines cuz I hard code all my sprites. Oh, That's a huge terrible. no-no. Yeah, yeah you I to. know. But uh you, like you said, I've done so many games. I'm not changing. Forget it, man. Let's <laughs> do it.
1: Oh. Yeah, until you have <laughs> to redo all your sprite sprite routines at the last minute because uh, they don't work cuz you hard coded them. Don't ask me how I know. <laughs> it's interesting because we don't have the constraints that licensed developers had. You know, we have Endless time. We have cheap memory. We... Don't have any like the censorship things that they had. We can make whatever we want and as big or as small as that is, as lewd or as crude as we want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best part, man. Like all of us
0: who are making these games, like we really can do whatever we want to do. Like whatever we, whatever crazy ideas we have, like trapped up in the depths of our brains, like we can do it. And if we don't know how, like we can take the time to figure it out. You know, I've been working on Unicorn for God knows how long at this point but like it's just getting to the point where like the internet capabilities are starting to be feasible on on the nes so like i'm finally at some point going to get to release that and get to experience that joy of finally releasing something that i've worked on you know that i've had in my brain for so long so as a developer i think that it's really special um that you know if we imagine it we can do it
1: that's one of the nice things too when we say licensed we often mean that the gameplay is solid and then it's it's actually a fun experience and that's where a lot of licensed era games fell short. They were rushed. They had these deadlines that, you know, were, they were the goal was to make money. Whereas we can take those extra, you know, six months and polish it out and make it decent and beta test it and make it playable and really just, you know, make it what we want it to be as opposed to just something that is a financial task we're doing.
0: Hmm, and I think I remember maybe four or five years ago, um, Rob from Sly Dog Studios, he he posted a thread, and I think it was on Nintendo Age, how he was sort of calling out, maybe not calling out, but he was letting it be known that he thought that like these homebrews that were coming out, like he thought the one thing that was lacking was the fact that no one was taking the time to polish them. And I think that right now, at least, I think uh, there are so many projects coming out that really have taken the time to, you know, put that little animation in when when the character stops running or, you know, when they fall to the ground from a high cliff or something like they're just taking the time to take and and to, to put their games to that next level.
1: And I think it's really paying off. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't want to get stuck in a pit or walk through a wall or die from, you know, cheap collision detection. Like, (laughs) most of us take the time to really hone that down. And to me, that's almost more licensed quality than graphics or sound or any of that stuff.
2: Yeah,
0: control is, I think, the hardest thing to really nail like you can get a super talented graphics guy and a super talented musician but as a programmer to really figure out how to nail physics or just gravity or all those little things that really make a game feel like a game like it's hard to to really nail that i think so what game are we going to be talking about this week kevin well bo i mean ever since we started this podcast there have been a few sort of games that we've looked forward to taking a closer look at um you know the mad wizard comes to mind um you know some of the some of the heavyweights of the nes homebrew community um and i know that you have been looking forward to this episode um for what probably feels like your whole life but today (laughs) we are going to talk about lizard lizard brad
1: smith yes so it's happening why is lizard famous already for better or worse Why is Lizard famous? Uh, I mean, it had a pretty
0: successful Kickstarter campaign. I mean, that seemed to get the word out and get people hyped. No. No? Then what? Uh, what? Why do you think it's already famous for better or worse?
1: Because it's taken four years to finish. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that joke.
0: I do very much, uh, and I mean, I'm sure Brad, uh, who we'll speak to in a, a little bit, uh, has taken some flack for that over the over the years. Um, but the the day came; the game's out everyone can play it now you can download it digitally you can buy it complete in box um and you finally had a chance to sink your teeth into this game
1: i did my sharp lizard teeth (laughs) and this was one of the is your is your lizard the is your lizard the lizard of happiness my lizard is the lizard of happiness yes very good you did that well uh, Lizard was one of the first sort of full NES Kickstarters that wasn't, you know, goats versus Nazis that two people funded. Um, it, you know, got enough to be funded. It was successful. Uh, Brad, you know, had this huge demo, which was like awesome. And you could actually like sit there and play the game. But, you know, who is Brad Smith? Eh? Brad Smith is a Canadian who seems to like soup. He does like soup. His Twitter, his Twitter, <laughs> but, like in addition to you know the travails of developing you know a homebrew game, is also filled with a lot of personal asides. And one of them was was his epic quest for the perfect soup.
0: Yeah, and it's cool because. He, you know, he chose to make this game called Lizard, about a lizard, and he really went all in. I mean, not only did he sort of consume himself with lizard references, he even owns a lizard costume in which he changed all of his avatars to him in the lizard costume.
1: I feel like they were that before the demo. Oh, going. really? I, I'm so pretty he's just sure. always been, he's always been part lizard. I don't know. <laughs> that was one of the things we strangely didn't ask him about. But every time I'm at a convention and I see somebody in a lizard costume, I kind of creep around. I'm like, is that is that Brad? It never <laughs> is. But one of these days. Yeah, it could happen. Yeah. So Brad is actually like... I always hate to use this word, but he's a real, uh, developer. He's actually like has worked in the official industry, you know, at, I want to say it was like at THQ or something like that, uh, back, you know, several years ago before he started this whole lizard odyssey.
0: Yeah. And it's not like he, um, it's not like he like worked remotely from home.
1: Like he moved to be a programmer at. A game company, like he moved to California or something. Right? Yeah, from can- from snowy Canada, that is uh, quite the change. <laughs> so, the game itself, what type of? How would you describe Lizard for the folks at home? Do I go into my personal reflection yet, oh, or am I sticking? Give them, okay. give them general things, things they can relate to, Kevin. Okay.
0: Um, I would say
1: it's an exploration platformer. Okay, I think that's fair. Uh do you run around and shoot things with your awesome crazy alien mutant lizard costume? No, and this might be something that
0: not a lot of people know because I followed this project pretty closely um as he worked on it. I backed it on Kickstarter. I was getting all the updates. I was reading all the updates, you know, he went into a lot of great detail on on these updates for these various, you know, parts that he was working on at the time, but I had no idea that when I sat down to play, the lizard doesn't even attack, like, you're avoiding everything. The whole game.
1: I think that is like sentence two in the Kickstarter is this is a non-combat game. I don't know how you guys missed well, that. Well, you know,
0: I was looking at uh, flashy videos and animated GIFs. He had a demo. You could play it. Uh, I wanted to save myself. It was like uh, I wanted to be a virgin and lose myself to the lizard cartridge
1: when it came in the mail. For the very first time. <laughs> um, it is very open-ended in terms of exploration. The emphasis is not on combat. Again, not combat exploration. And along the way, Brad is extremely vague. There are no signs that say go this direction or go up here or, you know, do these things to win this part.
0: Not only is it vague, but like you run into stones and you go to read them and it's just gibberish like you have the lizard of
1: understanding
0: well kevin is not the lizard of understanding kevin
1: is the lizard of mass confusion you start with the lizard of understanding
0: well even when you read it with the lizard of understanding like there aren't any spaces in the sentence the sentence doesn't start with the first word it's just like nonsense sentence in the middle that makes no sense nonsense oh man but you got to piece it
1: together that's the mystery that's the allure
0: the allure the allure (laughs) the seductive vague allure lizard is the siren
1: of nes games my lizard is the lizard of sirens tell me about the coins in the game bo so along the way it's not just like hey you're in this world go run around until something happens although it kind of is um yeah there's little things so like in there's coins Scattered throughout the, the world, and you can collect these coins. You're like, huh, there must be something here if I can collect coins. And so you try to collect coins, and you, you know, push yourself to explore a little further. There are also lizard costumes. Well, yes, costumes? Is that the word I well, want? I think they're costumes. Okay, well, you're a little tiny person, and you get out of your one lizard and into a different lizard. And so then this new lizard has different abilities, and it, of course, lets you explore in a different way. Fans of Metroid will feel right at home here, except for, you know, you don't have an arm cannon. Right. Brilliant. There's that. You, do, you, you get the lizard, you know, there's different ones like the red lizards, the lizard of fire and the, you know, blue lizards, the lizard of water, which lets you explore underwater. And I'm not going to give the rest away, but there's this whole slew of cool lizards, including a couple secret ones that really don't seem to serve a purpose, which were great. But you just, you go exploring, you, you put on a lizard and you go exploring, you find some stuff. And then eventually if you explore enough you find some bosses like i guess they are bosses they're giant large enemies which most of us would refer to as bosses i suppose yes and what happens when you beat a boss when you beat a boss well we can we can give some stuff it's not really giving it away this is pretty basic um, yeah. when you beat a boss you get an ending and
0: and how uh, confusing
1: is that well but you know it's not a real ending cuz you just like Do start you? over do you i do you have to be patient with this game you have to engage all your you know all of your nes experiences and you have to be the gamer come on kevin you're better than this you don't need a guide look this game you say i have to be patient with this game this game
0: turned me into a mental patient
1: oh man that was good you've been waiting weeks for that haven't you yes absolutely So you explore this giant, huge, I mean, it's literally, it's like the largest, it makes Battle Kid look like Battle Baby. Um, (laughs) And not
0: only is it like a huge world, there's like two, there's like two sides.
1: Yeah, man, recto and verso, which for those you book fans out there, you know, you got the, the left side, the right side, like of the page. So if you look at Lizard as a giant world with a book theme, there's, there's lots going on. And Brad does not give anything away he just he wants you to discover it and it's the type of game where you really have to put in the time to appreciate it i guess uh but to really you know like most old nes games nobody picked up legacy of the wizard and was like oh this game's great they picked it up and they're like this is crap but it was the only game they had so they kept you know they kept playing
0: yeah and that's that's the difference i mean i can i can imagine if i would have gotten this game when i was young you know you're forced to give it a try you rent this game for a week and you get tired of it after two hours like that's the game you're going to be playing for a week you got to come back to it so i I, you're right i didn't have the patience and i gave up on this game after probably 30 minutes because man like when you're dropped into this world to begin with it's very unforgiving i mean one hit and it you're done so you We'll get. We'll get into the details of what <laughs> specifically irritated the piss out of me. Mm, um, I see. But you made me go back to it. You said, "Kevin, we're doing a podcast on this game. You need to give it another chance." And I did. And I'm glad that you made me go back because I did enjoy it more. I uh, still don't enjoy it as much as you do, but I can at least now
1: see some of its redeeming qualities. I guess I'm just Mr. Patient, but man, you know. <laughs> We're always told where to go and what to do and like, you know, especially with games these days, it's like, hey, pick up these coins. They'll do something good later. This game's just like, here's some coins. You can pick them up if you want and you don't have to if you don't. We won't tell you what they're for
0: (laughs) or if they serve any purpose. I technically put them in the hardest places possible.
1: (laughs) I still don't quite know what the coins do because you really have to, I think, get them all. But, you know, that's the joy. Like, even though... I have beaten the game. I have beaten, you know... I figured out the puzzle that involves beating the game. All this meta game stuff. But the coins, like, they're very hard to get.
0: (laughs) Yes. And not only are they hard to get, like, you have to do something with the coins before... Like, for the... for If you die the coins disappear unless you do something with them so Mm -hmm. i don't want to give it away but it's tough to wind up with coins at the end of the at the end of the day (laughs) oh
1: well let's try not to give too much stuff away what do you think about the graphics
0: the graphics are gorgeous i mean as much trash as i have and will talk about this game the (laughs) graphics are definitely not uh Not one of the things I'm displeased with. I mean, the world is beautiful. You're running around as a lizard. There's these little birds that, like, fly away as you run close to them. There's little frogs hopping around. Like, I don't think I've seen such beautiful characters um, in that, like, small of a sprite. Like, it was... I mean, the birds are tiny, but the animation that he used to make them fly... It, I don't know. It's just gorgeous. Like it really does feel like a world with,
1: with things leave, living in it. I know. And that's one of the, like, to me, that was one of the greatest things. And you have these, it's this giant world, but you have these different zones. You have, you know, the, the sky zone and you have the, uh, I'm going to butcher some of that butcher. I'm going to forget some of the actual names, but like the ice zone, the cave zone, the root zone, which is like the roots of this giant tree in the world that, you know, is the sky zone, in the sky zone, you're running around this like giant branches of a tree. And then you go into the roots. And then from the roots, you go into these caverns and then you go to the steam zone, which has these cool, like moving pistons and like shoots up steam. Like Brad just did such an amazing job with creating this world that I Really, I mean, it makes things like Metroid look like, you know, child's drawings. Um,
0: It does. And the fact that he did it all himself, including the music. I mean, even the music is gorgeous. Like, everything about this game, aesthetically, is very, very pleasing to the eyes and the ears. Um, He did a hell of a job. And I know that, you know, in the middle of the Kickstarter process, he decided that he wanted to expand the screens um, and expand the size of, you know, the scope of the world, you know, we were giving him a lot of flack about the delays and stuff, but I think that, you know, now that the game is out and we've seen the changes that he made and um, you, like from playing the demo to the, the finished release product, I, I think it's easy to say that they were worthwhile changes.
1: Well, that was one of the biggest things that worried me, is I loved the demo. I thought the demo was just amazing it had this these single screens and you could kind of see what to do and it was easy to map out where you were and like it was kind of like battle kid where you could look at the screen and go i need to do these things to get through this except it was more open in terms of i can also go all these other directions and i thought a lot of that was going to be lost when he went to this sort of scrolling and it's just two screens but you know that changes the whole like dynamics of the game yeah and uh, nothing was lost if if anything stuff was gained i think and you are uh, there's always a worry with single screen games like you know you jump up and then you fall back down so you're constantly switching screens and he really minimized a lot of that like he would place the jump just low enough that you wouldn't do that or when you did trigger it like there was a kind of like a safety block that you just run into so you wouldn't just fall off the other edge of a platform, that type of thing.
0: Yeah, you can tell he, he took great care in, in his level design for sure.
1: Oh yeah. And Brad did these wonderful Kickstarter updates, uh and you can go read them at your leisure. That are basically a tutorial into NES programming and like what it means to really deliberately design a game. And there's just some cool stuff. And did we mention bosses? We did. Um, I think I saw three of them. (laughs) Oh, man. So, like, you're going through this world and everything is kind of the same, you know, in a very good way. Um, You know, each zone has its own challenges and whatnot, but, you know... You're still the little lizard and, you know, the enemies are still, you know, more or less the enemies. And then you hit these boss rooms and you want to talk about some cool, creative bosses Lizard has. Yeah.
0: And I I think I recall saying that, like, if this game was just bosses, it would be one of my favorite games ever made. Like the bosses and I haven't even seen all of them because I I just I'm not. Good enough or, or patient enough, as Bo is saying, to to get to find them and figure out how to beat them. But the ones that I saw, um, they were—I can't think of any bosses that are cooler in in any. NES games like it's it's really incredible
1: well and because you're not just sitting there like contra you know shooting the boss to die is like they're almost puzzles uh, in terms of how to defeat them and, you, and you're gonna die a bunch before you figure out exactly yeah. how to beat them but it is so rewarding when you are finally like you know what I can beat this guy every time I know exactly what to do and here's how you do it and it just it feels so rewarding
0: yeah um, and the sort of intensity is amped up because like when you Oof. start the game and it doesn't give you any sort of direction, you have to sort of meander about, but when you finally get to one of the bosses, you know, as as a lizard creature or a human in a lizard costume, whatever it is, without the ability to attack it, you do have to figure out what to do very quickly because you're going to die, you know, in, in one hit. So you have to figure it out. And But the good thing is, like, the you know, the first few times when you get there and you're sort of figuring out whatever the puzzle is for that boss and you get a game over, at least at that point you know exactly how to get back to the boss um, to give it another try.
1: Well, there's usually he puts save points all over the world and there's usually a save point outside of almost every boss except for one that I can think of. So you can just, you know, You die, you restart, you're back at the boss in two seconds. It's super easy. Well, the boss isn't, but the whole process is. Uh, I I did notice when I was playing a lot of the bosses that they started off more difficult, and then as the level went or the encounter went, like the boss kind of got easier in a way. And yet I would choke almost every time. Like (laughs) it was so irritating. He's shown the frog boss online, so we can talk about that one some. Yeah it's this giant frog that scales up the screen as you like hop onto platforms, dodging it. And then you can like push some blocks onto its eyes and you know, the eyes close and then it quits shooting things, but you still have to scale this like castle. And with no shooting, I found the scaling of the castle to be so intense and like so nerve wracking that I could never finish it. It took, I don't know how many times I played it before I finally beat it. And it was like, the dumbest thing, that I couldn't just make these simple jumps, but I'm sure he placed them in such a way that they were more difficult to make, knowing knowing him. Can you think of a bigger boss in the NES library? <sighs> Hardly. I mean, you have to go with, like, horizontal shooter things, like uh, the giant boss, the clay dude in Mega Man, or, like, the level one of Contra with that giant, like, wall, but, like, in terms okay. of, like a moving one that is going after you, that frog boss is just giant. Yeah.
0: He did a great job with that for sure. I mean, even the freaking the eyes blink, right? Like the, the level of detail that he put in this game is really impressive. Yeah.
1: Oh man. It's good. So what'd you think of the music? I mean, I already
0: said that's it's one of the sort of highlights of the game. Um, He, I mean, I've been a fan of his music for some time. I know he, he did the, uh the pink Floyd dark side of the moon cartridge um, And I've heard a little bit of his stuff in the past, but uh, you can tell that he is a very accomplished sort of composer and his music. I mean, it's a little unfair because his music and his graphics and like aesthetically, he's just so talented at producing professional quality work. Um, the music, each music for each of the areas, I think um, is just perfect. Like every every sort of theme nails the feeling. I mean, maybe maybe that's what he intended to do. I mean, I'm sure it's what he intended to do, but like it just seems so effortless, you know, when, when you're running around playing.
1: It does. He kind of riffs on a main theme for each of the areas that it gets transformed kind of based on that area. And so you have, you know, the uh, fire zones, real kind of intense, You got dropping lava and jumping platforms and a few more enemies. And so it gets a little more, you know, intense and the steam zone too. Like it's got some, you know, machinery feel to it, but then you get Mm -hmm. to like the root zone and it's just like this contemplative wondrous. You just, you're under this tree in this world. Why?
0: And I think one of the, the things that impressed me most, I mean, when, when you think of NES music, you know, you think of the Mario theme or the Zelda theme, like, These very sort of overly melodic um, NES melodies. The music in this game is almost non-traditional. Like, he thought very far outside the box and made it almost atmospheric, which I think is very hard to do
1: on the NES. This was one of the first NSFs that I ever listened to when I got back into NES things and then programming and all that, was the Lizard one. And there were certain tracks that I could just listen to nearly endlessly. I mean, they'd go for like a half hour before I'd forget to change it to the next one. And it was just like, this music is amazing. Yeah, you just get lost
0: in it. I mean, and and that's that only benefits the game because the game is so explorative and you you, sometimes you have a hard time sort of feeling grounded like you just feel lost a lot of the time and i know that you have said on more than one occasion that you love the feeling of being lost but for someone who like being lost stresses them out i think having (laughs) having that um atmospheric music it is it it acts as a calming agent i mean it just sort of it works as this whole encompassing package
1: well you almost don't like want to leave an area because the music is so good and you just want to keep listening to like that area's tune and so you end up exploring that area a little more than perhaps you would have otherwise and and you also know which area you're in without being told based on those musical changes and that's I mean that's pretty hard to do he 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 accomplished a lot so I know you haven't seen the whole game but although I I pray and hope that one day you will. Uh, But what were some of the memorable locations or levels that you, uh, you know, stick in your mind as you continue to contemplate the lizard? Uh,
0: I think the void zone. um, That was one of the most interesting areas I think I've ever seen in a video game period, let alone an NES game. Oh, um, yeah it's it's tough because i I want people to play it and sort of experience it for themselves because describing it doesn't do justice to the feeling that you get when you're sort of experiencing it. Um but yeah, like it just the colors are really interesting. The enemies on the screen in the void zone are very unique. <laughs> to say the least, I don't know, it's just such a cool area i had never um I had never seen anything like it before.
1: It's like the lost woods on acid,
0: yeah <laughs> on a bad trip,
1: <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> I thought it was a good trip, no, I mean, it is a good trip, but it, it's very unique <laughs> and there's so many entrances to the void zone it's just and there's so many ways out it's just it's super neat uh in terms of an area, but he also has a bunch of you know the staples in the game, the water level, the sky level, the cave, the castle. The um, pillars and runes, things like that. There's a bunch of, you know, the standard things that you're used to. And so it's not like he's throwing you completely into the void zone. But then there were some other areas like the, the steam zone.
0: Yeah, that was cool. Um, you know, the moving platforms and the steam coming up. Um, I don't know. It's just that that was probably my second favorite area it was very hard that's probably one of the hardest areas that i found in the game to traverse but uh stylistically it looked very cool
1: well it's you know because there's so many save points you have endless lives you don't really lose anything when you die you keep your lizard costume and all that so it's even though you die a lot it's sort of a safe exploration i mean you're not losing much other than those coins that you're not going to get all of anyways and you lose motivation and self-worth and oh, <laughs> there it is <laughs> One of my, I have one last favorite like sort of area that it's kind of a small area of the game. It's sort of a pass through as you get to a different one. But the tree maze, that's, I want to say that's like all the way down to the right in either recto or verso, but it very much reminded me of the Mad Wizards tree maze where you're up in the uh, tops of the Elderwood. And I, I don't know why I like that so much, but it's just those like caverns through the trees are just they fascinate me.
0: Yeah, there was I had one other favorite area, but I don't want to give it away because the gameplay style almost completely changes and it turns oh, yes. into like a fun little mini game. Um so I've I very much hope that uh some of the listeners come across this because I mean, you were so excited about it that you sent me a password to
1: that spot. I um, did because I knew you yeah. weren't going
0: to get to it otherwise. <laughs> Well, you weren't wrong, but uh, no, it was very, very cool. So uh, this game is filled with uh, secrets and uh, just cool little unexpected things that uh, will put a smile on your face.
1: Well, that's one of the things too, like it took three or four years or however long to finally finish, but I don't feel like a minute of that was wasted. Like it just kept making the game better. Who incorporates whole other gameplay styles just because they feel they need to be there? Like, regardless of the time. So, I assume you liked it, right? Oh, man. Like, playing the demo, I was like, this could be, you know... The demo itself was one of my top, like, five NES games, period. Mm -hmm. And now, having played the whole game, it's like, this is definitely, like, top three uh, beating out most licensed stuff. Like, this is... This is it. I mean, and it's almost the number one homebrew for me. We'll talk about a different one maybe next episode. Eh, I don't Ooh, know. Interesting. But I want to say that this is more like my style of game. It's just you go exploring. I love yeah. that. You get lost. You go find things. Like, what about you?
0: Um, I want to like it. I mean, I, I do like it, but I want, I want to love it. But it's just not... I'm the type of guy that wants my hand held I want to be told what to do I want to play level 1 after level 1 I want to play level 2 like I want to be able to see a noticeable progression in the game and like know that I'm accomplishing what I'm supposed to be accomplishing this game not only does it not tell you where to go but it doesn't tell you what to do and then after you beat a boss it throws, it shows you like the credit screen and you're like what, what is happening like you're supposed to see the credit screen at the end of the game and I've only beaten a single boss like like there's so much confusion about the game it frustrated me very quickly um but i'm i'm glad that you love it so much bo
1: and but that was the thing like you pick up a lizard like you get the lizard of fire and the lizard of fire has the ability to like melt ice and kind of get rid of those poison frogs and some other things yes fuck those frogs I know you hate those frogs I hate them so much you know they're so a different much. color than the normal frogs right
0: yes at this point I do know that and I finally uh, got to the point where I could notice them but they're so damn tiny you just you're running along you're trying to get back to that spot that you were at before and then
1: you run into a freaking little frog and it oh my god I, just, I don't like frogs I think you need a better tv or to get your eyes checked i'm not certain okay each lizard kind of has its own path and so like you know that there has to be an end to that path like this lizard can go places that others can't so where can he go that others can't and you you know explore down that path until you find the boss like how is that hard well
0: i think a major part of the game is i guess going around and mapping things out first like you have to familiarize yourself enough to know that when you pick up that random lizard costume oh it's it goes to this location that i have mapped into my brain that i went to but there's so many damn rooms like i can't i just can't keep them straight i can't remember
1: it's such a huge game
0: yes it, it is it's so big that's but if there's said. a
1: wall, if there's a wall of ice, you know that you need the fire lizard to go through the wall of ice, like done yes. that's it
0: yes <sighs> i I can't argue with that, but to me, it was a very frustrating game.
1: I find it so strange, like I know that every game has its player, and you know some people like this or something, but this is like Zelda good, where it's like nobody can dislike this. I do love Zelda, I do not love lizard, I know, and you were nice enough to uh kind of put up with me telling Brad that you didn't you know, weren't <laughs> a super fan like myself <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he knows, I mean, he even mentioned that he like, he knew this game wasn't going to be for everyone when he was making it. Um, And there are so many good qualities. I mean, there are just some things that I personally would have changed to make it a little bit more accessible, but it's not my game. Like he put out the game that he wanted to make and I 100% respect him for that. And it is a gorgeous game. Um, And I, I can't argue with its brilliance. I just, it's personally not the game for me.
1: Seeing that like open-endedness and that vagueness is what makes it so replayable for me as well whereas i have really found most homebrew games like even if they're wonderful experiences like ones that become classics to me almost right away like they often lack that exploration element and lizard has it like it leaves me wondering i mean i I think I figured out the boss thing when I wasn't even playing. I was like laying in bed and was like, oh man, that's how that piece is together. And like, I ran back to the controller, turned it on and was like, oh yeah, this is it. I got it. Finally. Like <laughs> it tugs at your brain in such a way that most games don't. Well, homebrew or licensed.
0: Yeah, no, it is great. Um, and I'm sure I didn't even find a quarter of the secrets that are in the game.
1: I hope I didn't find a quarter of the secrets in the game. <laughs>
0: Well, we mentioned that the, the game's out, the Kickstarter finished, you know, the, the game has been released. Like, how can people listening acquire or play this game
1: well the easiest way is to just go download the free demo right now like you can go check it out you can see if you hate it like kevin or if you love it like me (laughs) he doesn't hate it i'm just teasing but um yeah it's out there and you can also if you want to compare to like sort of a development perspective you can go check out the old version as well which was the single screen uh edition which was part of the kickstarter and You can go download the NSF if you want to check out the music. Uh, You just keep saying that you can download them. Where Where do they go to download them? Yeah, you can go download them at lizardnes.com and you can purchase it uh, through infinite nes lives if you want on cartridge there was kind of a special limited white cartridge for kickstarter backers and there were some that were immediately sold uh, once the game was released as well but there was sort of a i want to say it was probably limited to a couple hundred and if you do want the full experience if you have a power pack or everdrive or whatnot you can actually buy the whole rom for like 10 Uh, Mm bucks paypal credit card all that good stuff off of a itch.io but it's linked off of a uh, lizard NES.com. so there's really like no excuse not to play it go go check out the demo if you hate it don't buy it um but if you love it you know find a way to support the creator and i do hope that brad keeps on making games because these yes. are great
0: yeah i mean you can you can tell that he is a master at his craft so i i hope that this game does well enough that he's inspired to do something else, um, because it's it's gorgeous, it plays great, um, and I am very much looking forward
1: to what the future holds for Mr. Soup. I just look forward to replaying Lizard over and over throughout the years.
0: Well, you play Lizard, I will play Mad Wizard, and we'll all be happy.
1: So we are actually going to talk with uh, Brad himself and sort of get his perspective on uh, various complicated, soup-driven thoughts how you doing brad hi i'm doing pretty good yeah so um i guess you know it seems that you've been around for quite some time and you've done a lot of kind of various things in the community but sort of how did you first get started in in the nest dev
2: community um let's see i found nes dev when did i find it maybe 2012 or 2011 i forget what my join date was but um it was sort of coming from FamiTracker. tracker uh for for anyone listening that doesn't know like family tracker is a music program for making music for nes basically and yeah i made a, a cover of a pink floyd album called dark side of the moon some people might be familiar with it i think it's one of <laughs> the greatest selling albums of all time or something. But um, yeah, for some reason, I was compelled to cover it for NES. And when I finished that, like people started sending me stuff and talking to me. And I found my way to like the family tracker community, which was kind of cool, like all these people talking about NES music and stuff. And I got involved in that. And then eventually, I don't like my I'm a career programmer, main job. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to program for the NES, and wanting to know how to do that basically led me to the NES Dev Forums, which uh, I found to be a pretty inviting community when I kind of stumbled in there, and so I've stuck around since then. It's crazy how many of you guys
1: got started with music, uh, playing around with it or discovering the, the tracker stuff and just sort of going from there and becoming, you know... Full game programmers at some point, but
0: so you originally got into the community because you were interested in making music, and then
2: you transitioned into wanting to learn how to program for it um yeah, like it it just seemed like an interesting well at first it was it was like people kept asking. Questions about emulators. Emulators are always, they're only as accurate as far as people have made the match things that they want to run with them, right? right. So um, people were always question, asking questions about Family Tracker, like, does it really sound like this if I do this, if I do this in this weird order that no game ever did, and blah, blah, <laughs> blah. So I could just write a program and run it on an NES and see what it does. And that was kind of like my original reason. It was just like questions kept coming up and I wanted to know. And But it also just seemed like a fun system. Like I was used to programming for modern stuff, you know, modern consoles or computer where you have all these levels of hardware abstractions and drivers and APIs that interact with the drivers. And the NES, when I started using it, is just like... There's no operating system. It's just the bare CPU and some attached stuff. And you just put some data that it can read and see what it does. Like it's very direct. And I liked that. It was, it was, it felt like a cool, a a different way to program, I guess. You touched on.
0: Your sort of programming background and what you do for a living but let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your musical upbringing like you seem to have a pretty good sort of grasp on you know from what i can tell anything like music theory and and chord progressions and things like that like what was your musical upbringing
2: like okay um uh, basically, I, my parents wanted me to take piano lessons when I was pretty young. I don't know, I was like three or four. And I kind of hated piano lessons. <laughs> I didn't like practicing. Yeah. Um, but I really liked music. And I liked what it enabled me to learn about it so i'm very glad i had those lessons even though at the time i felt like i don't know i enjoyed playing piano sometimes at the time but like most of the time i didn't like doing the work and i always felt anxiety like every week going to a lesson it's like if you practice and like no (laughs) we always just fought for last place in trumpet so this is very different (laughs) i forgot um, you
0: play trumpet
1: Bo. that's oh
2: the world does yes thank (laughs) you But I mean, it gave me a foundation. It it gave me an instrument that I could play. uh, And it gave me a lot of knowledge about, like, what does written music look like, that sort of thing. So I kept learning about it, you know, over the years uh, through high school. I did pretty well in high school music. And I played in, like, as many bands as I could kind of get away with in my extracurriculars. I played trombone in places in high school, but I played other instruments too. I learned. How, I found a guitar in the closet that nobody had played in like ten years or more. T- my lifetime, maybe it was like I think I was like sixteen when I found it, and i was like, "How long has this been in the closet?" I learned how to play it, so I did. So you taught yourself how to play it? Yeah, um, no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Like well, I'd say I mean somebody taught me how to play a piano. I, th- I would say most of learning to play an instrument is so I don't feel entirely self-taught. Like I, you had a grasp of.
0: How chords are structured with major and minor chords and that kind of thing. And you could figure it out from there.
2: Yeah, like uh, sort of like what I was saying about coming to the NES. Like it wasn't my first programming language or first game programming experience. It was it was moving from one to another and uh, learning the differences and, and getting there. But I think once you, you know one instrument, you can move on to others a lot easier than another instrument.
0: Well, let's talk about um, the Dark Side of the Moon album that you covered, real quick. Okay. Um, you did a great job with it. I'm a huge, a huge fan of the album, um, yours and the original, obviously. When you originally sought out the desire to do it, like, did you just cover a song and then say, "Oh, I did that. I may as well do the full album," or did you like initially set
2: out to do the full album from the start? So, what I had, I think, the first time I ever heard the album, like my parents were playing it, and I heard On the Run. And to me, that sounded, you know, like it had a synthesizer in it on a on a looping sequence. So it's very repetitive and, um, you know, slowly turning the knobs and changing the timbre of the sound. It sounded like video games to me at age. <laughs> I don't know how old I can say like that eight years old or whatever. So I was I was very interested in this album all of a sudden that I'd never heard before. <laughs> um, just because I was I was really into video games as a kid. Would that have been like Atari at the time? um what did i have i had an atari st that was the first computer we had in our in my house mm-hmm. nice. and then later i got a 2600 and a master system sega master system what's that uh, <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> and i didn't i didn't actually have an nes my cousin had an nes my neighbor down the street had an nes some of my friends did so i'd play it at their house but I never had one at home until a couple of years ago. Until I wanted to program on one. That's why I bought one. <laughs> Seriously? That's really interesting that you had
0: no sort of nostalgic affinity, like, personally for the system, but decided to go after
2: um, it. I would say I have a fair bit of nostalgia for it, but I just never got to... I didn't get to dig in deep into NES games until emulation happened. I
1: mean, it was all pervasive. It was,
2: you know, everybody had it. So even if you didn't own
1: it, every other kid did. So, I mean, <laughs> you were exposed to it. it makes oh, sense. Oh, yeah.
2: I, yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, so I didn't ever beat most NES games in that situation because I'd only be able to play it for like an hour or something. But I'd have friends, like one friend had Star Tropics and I'd go over to his house and like, you know, one day we're playing this chapter, another day we're playing another chapter. So I saw all the game or maybe half the game in like fragmentary form sort of beginning to end. I don't think I ever saw the ending in his house, but I did get a sense of the game and play a lot of parts of it, I guess. Just I didn't get that that deep back to front experience of an nes game until uh yeah until i guess i was going to university around the time emulators were kind of taking off uh you had like nesticle and stuff like that oh we're talking late 90s early 2000s somewhere in there yeah i guess i was still in high school when it was when i got the internet and having to like boot into dos to run it (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's before my time run it in windows like i had windows 95 or whatever but you wouldn't want to run an emulator In windows i don't know but um yeah when that happened i started playing uh some of those games all the way through and getting to see like what what does a whole nes game look like rather than just the the pieces of it (laughs) that i get in sessions and i mean there's lots of games where i feel like i got the whole like blades of steel you know (laughs) yeah that's a 30 minute game but (laughs) ah
1: the canadian oh you (laughs) got the hockey game every time (laughs) you can
2: play it for 30 minutes man well, I think it's a, or how long is a Blades of Steel match? No, I don't know, like probably minutes. close to that. I think it's got five I, minutes. I, so I just prefer
1: it. ice hockey. I suck at all sports, digital or otherwise, so I, I can never get more than about two minutes in.
2: Uh, I liked ice hockey, but I, I found Blades of Steel was the one where me and my cousin both got to, uh, I guess, a high level skill, but an, sort of a, an equivalent level of skill so we could play against each other and have a lot of fun. Gotcha. That Um, is the best place to be, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Ice hockey never felt that way for us. We played it a bit, but...
1: Okay. (laughs) You know, that's not so different than most people's experiences. Like, growing up, my brother was always really good at the action games, or Star Tropics was one in particular, or the Mega Man games, where, you know, I would get to the boss, and then I would give him the controller and run out of the room, so that way he could beat it, and I, I couldn't watch. But somehow he would beat it and like there was magic (laughs) happening. And so why couldn't you watch? Because you were scared? No, he would choke. (laughs) He couldn't do it if I was watching. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, But so like until emulation, like I really haven't seen large parts of games either. So I I get that.
2: Or yeah, like Battletoads was one of those games where um, we'd always play it at my friend's house and we'd play it two player and we'd never get past the second level because or Mm -hmm third level third level sorry because of like on the speed bikes just that yeah, part at the hard end of shit and it's funny because we were we were at least at a level where one of us on our own could probably beat it like one in three times or one in four times but both of us playing it together would never
0: <laughs> yeah that game was way harder two players not to mention you could injure each other to mm. make it even yeah. more complicated. So let's back up um, and talk about the Pink Floyd again. Um, yeah. You know, sure. when you, we, we, when you put this album out, it was your first sort of foray into the NES scene for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. I mean, in no way, shape or form, does it sound like anyone's first step into anything? Like it's amazing. Like, did you have any trouble learning? I assume you lo- used Fame track, right? Did you have any yep. trouble learning the tools?
2: Um, no, I mean I'd used trackers before, so I was familiar with that. And I'd actually made like chiptune music with like, you know, make a square wave sample and put it in a tracker. Um or for for people unfamiliar with trackers, like it's you just take recorded sounds and then you can play them at any pitch, so you play whatever note you want. And then you just arrange all the notes on a grid. And family trackers like that, but there's no, well, there are recorded sounds, but they're very limited. It's more just the hardware's built-in sounds, the square wave, the triangle wave, the noise. Um, So it's based on those, and those I'd been using for years before I'd seen Family Tracker. But that's sort of what goes back to just, um, you know, I found trackers, I guess around the same time I found emulators. Like, I had just gotten the internet, and all these things were available to me that people were making and releasing for free, things like emulators, trackers to make music with. Um... And I I learned so much from that. So, I mean, you could say I had been making tracker music for probably, yeah, I think like 2010, I started making that or something like that. So I had been working with trackers for a decade before I got to FAMI tracker.
1: When you did finally come to to NES development and, you know, you did the music stuff and you were kind of learning as you went and you you have all these failed projects, not failed projects, learning projects, I will call them because. Sure. I still look fondly upon my failed projects.
2: Um, They're important. I mean, (laughs) the the failed projects are part of the successful project that follows. (laughs) One surely
1: (laughs) hopes. um, But was Lizard the game you came in wanting to make? Or did that process sort of evolve over time as you learned more about the limitations of the system?
2: After the startup company... um, one of the friends I made there got me a really good contract job working on a game engine. We weren't making games directly, and that—that's kind of a dreary thing for me because I like the creative act of making a game, and like like I said, like working with artists that kind of. And when you're when you're just working on middleware, uh, there's no end of the project. You don't get to like ship it and say, "That's good enough to be done." I don't have to think about it anymore. Everything is an ongoing thing that has to be maintained forever. That does not um, sound fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's regular <laughs> software development. But that's one of the things I like about games. You're done with it. And you move on to something else. Like you can just yeah, say, for sure. this is not ideal, but it works. Put it out. And I like that. Um, anyhow, so I did that. And while I was doing that, I was saving up my money and thinking about I want to make a game. So I have all my notes and ideas about games. So that's where I kind of started with this. Uh, One of the ideas was maybe I could make a puzzle game. Uh, A friend of mine had once said to me she had a weird dream where um, at the end of the dream, she said, my lizard is not the lizard of knowledge because she didn't understand something. And it was just such a weird phrase. Hmm. And it was just like, it stuck in my mind. It stuck in her mind. We say my lizard is the lizard of whatever to each other now and then. Eventually, I just thought, well, what if I could make a game like, I don't know, I was thinking like Lost Vikings or the humans, where you like have different classes of human and you switch to the right one to solve the puzzle, that kind of thing. So I thought it would be a game like that. That was kind of the high level idea at first. Um, And so when my contract gig was drying up. I had these lists of games that I thought I could make, and this one looked like something that would fit my growing interest in NES, which was also kind of happening in tandem with this. So by that time, I was really interested in the NES hardware and programming for it. I think I'd already released like a cartridge version of *The Dark Side of the Moon*, um, which was a long time coming. I mean, like I released the music version of it, which technically could have been played on an NES, but I never did for a couple of years later, till when I like bought an NES, learned to program for yeah. it, finally made the cartridge. <laughs> There's a couple of years gap between that That's first. crazy. I made some music for it, and here it's actually working. Um, but
0: so I really like that you um, that you visually showed like when the channels were playing, like the individual channels, like the square, and you would like depending on the volume of the channel, like even that little visual representation was a different yeah. size. I really like how you did. It's that. It's cool to be able I to show people what's homes. going
2: on if you can manage it. Um, yeah, if you've never noticed, Kevin steals a <laughs> lot of things. Well, you should. You should steal good ideas and use them in new contexts. Like, that's... <laughs> My man. Oh, wait. Uh, new context. <laughs> <laughs> um So, yeah. So, that was the vague idea when I started with. Um, but then I sort of had other ideas about it when I started the initial design plan. Like, I was originally thinking, like, you know, level-based. Here's the new puzzle. I'll place three different lizards here and you have to use each of them at a particular point in the puzzle.
1: So like the idea of lizards with different abilities
2: was sort of there from the beginning? Yeah, that was the, the seed of it.
1: If we had to assign a year to this, when would you say you were kind of hashing this part of it um
2: oh i guess like 2012 i i have like a title screen that i made back then (laughs) i think uh which just or it's not a title screen but it has it has 2012 written on the screen um but i don't think i started the actual i think i started the actual game a year later um but yeah like when my when my contract ended i started working on the game and that's when i worked out the main kind of design goals of the game and it was very it was a lot different from that like i don't think what it is now is i I would not call it a puzzle game um more about uh, exploration and trying things There, like you still have the that core idea of a lizard granting you the solution to some problems but i tried to make problems uh soft so that the lizard's just a good solution, but there's like harder solutions that you can try anyway. Um, and this kind of leads to problems with how people play sometimes, but my heart feels warm right now though because I'm just so happy
1: inside. <sighs> <laughs> like just in general no, or from No, because from, from of this what? like because I've played the game and now hearing the person talk about it in the way that I've experienced mm-hmm. it is just amazing. Oh, well that's I would say that's <laughs> nice
2: to hear that Reflected so it sounds like you kind of got what I was going for I guess well I I
1: got I got the coffee lizard and I stood in front of the fire and I drank my coffee (laughs) and I slayed the rabbit And I I explained to my wife why it had to be the coffee lizard that I sat there and I drank the coffee and she was like well, that's the dumbest thing ever and I'm like no you must like the rabbit doesn't know what's going on. I'm drinking the coffee. It distracts it, so it attacks and I run under it and all that good stuff. And then I did it yesterday when she wasn't at home with the fire lizard. And of course, it did the same exact thing. And I was like, well, that never mind that theory. But <laughs> she doesn't she, have to know. Though. She doesn't, unless she's in the other room <laughs> listening right now. But uh, yeah, that soft and hard problems. I like that.
2: Well, like a lot of. Um... People call it a Metroidvania sometimes, and it's funny because, like, I was consciously trying to be anti-Metroid in various ways, but not in every way because it is—I would say it is a lot like Metroid in some ways too. Suits, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like Mega Man, I guess in that respect too. But um, yeah, like there's there's hard things where it's like a, a key that fits a lock, and there's no other way to get through that, and then there's soft things where. Like I was saying, um, it makes it a lot easier to do something, but it's not impossible to do it other the other way. And that's one of the things that I think rubs a lot of people the wrong way, because they, they find a solution that seems like, ah, I can do it this way. I'm going to keep trying. And they try the hard thing over and over again, and they get worn down by it. Um, and I don't regret that. I mean, that's part of making that choice, but it's... It does make a bad experience, at least temporarily for some people.
1: Well, I'm going to be honest with you and just tell you right now. One of the two people you're talking to is kind of ambivalent about many of the things you're currently describing. The other person (laughs) loves them beyond anything else. I think you can (laughs) kind of guess which is which.
2: Well, um,. Uh, yeah, like, it's a game I was making that I knew I would enjoy if I got to play it as a human that didn't make this game. Uh, yeah, like, I made this game because I thought there were some things I could do in it that I wasn't seeing in many games that I, I wished they would do, and I would enjoy if they did. So, that's kind of my motivation for making the game, uh, from the baseline. So... Love intrinsic motivation. (laughs) Getting back to what I was saying before, uh, the kind of game that it is. So I intended it to be a game you can play in basically maybe 30 or 30 minute or one hour, maybe two hour sessions where, uh, and this is kind of spoilers about the game, depending on whether you care about knowing this or not. For some people, discovering everything is very interesting. It is. And for some people, it is not. Uh, it is for not them, it's there. not a spoiler. So. <laughs> but so there are like six bosses in the game and six lizards that basically there's a one to one. This is the best lizard for this boss. I counted seven. Idea. There's more lizards and there's more bosses, maybe. But... Okay.
1: All right. Just making sure that I wasn't like completely spacing
2: that because I had it written out and was like, I know there's more than six here. Yeah. Hmm. Um, oh, that's, that's another thing about like, uh, with modern games, you have achievements. Kevin, if you want to make something that's oh, yeah. really a secret, um, it has to not be an achievement. Exactly. So there's no, there's six lizard achievements in my game. <laughs> <laughs> that does not mean that's all the lizards, but yes. so that, that's a bit of a spoiler nice. too, but, um, well, I I don't know. You've already mentioned one of the, one of the secret lizards. So oh, I tried to make some lizard? that were extra hidden. I thought he was essential um, too. And then and then I put an ending at the end of each boss yes, which is sort of a soft ending you can continue with. And this confuses a lot of people too. It took because this some is also doing, very yeah. Uh, so the idea the, the original or I should say like the the intended plan is you'd play it, you'd beat a boss, and then the next time you'd try and play it and find another boss yeah. until you've done all of them. And then maybe you realize, well, what if I continue and do all of them in one session? And then that's the long game. I can't mm-hmm. believe I figured that out for myself.
1: I'm just gonna say that oh, right now. I'm impressed, <laughs> Bo. Good night, so am I, because I suck at games. That's almost verbatim what you told me.
2: Uh, and what what I would say is that's not a a normal structure for a game these days. <laughs> no, <it's not>. Um <laughs> And the and the very critical thing is, it's almost insane to make a game that doesn't have a save that just saves everything you've done. It's a little
1: little concerned about uh,
2: that, but in this day and age, uh, like that's basically just an expected thing. But it's also a thing that very relatively few NES games had, like right. only some specific genres. Um, And I mean, like you do have NES games that have saves, but it's 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 not definitely not the majority, but maybe it's some of the more memorable games.
1: One of the major additions you made to Blizzard, you know, we were all kind of we being the Kickstarter backers. There were what, three hundred and twenty five of us or something. One of the major additions you made from that initial Mm -hmm. demo build and the initial presentation of the project to the final uh, game was you added Horizontal scrolling, uh, dual screens as opposed to just a, a single screen. Mm-hmm. Did that kind of alter your hopes? that? Because uh, at one time you had sort of said that the majority of the rest of the tasks of the game were all concentrated on level design and, you know, development content. And then it became this like, I remember several updates about scrolling and adding all this and how that kind of changed everything. Did that,
2: is that what kind of kept the project from coming out for so long? Uh, that was a bigger impact than I thought it would be. Um, so I don't know. I would say what kept it coming out from so, for so long is a more vague answer that I am, I'm not an efficient person. I'm not great at <laughs> managing my time. And it sounds, it sounds funny. <laughs> I know it's hard to say what that means, but it, it doesn't mean anything specific. It means just like, I'm I'm very good at wasting time. Um, Especially when it's my own time on my own dime, but um, and i'm I'm i actively trying to find ways to make myself better at that, but mixed success with it. I know that feeling um time management is difficult so a lot of the delay is just you, you should just blame me for being a, a stupid person but <laughs> it's um it's not that easy i, I'm not I gonna, don't think you're but, that i'm not gonna let you <laughs> off the hook that easy but but getting back on to the topic where i can say more uh more useful things <laughs> the increasing the size of the world so i increased the data size by two and like I doubled it. So it wasn't just screen size. It was actual data
1: size. Like the world grew yeah, to I, double the size.
2: I made the ROM twice as big and basically. Oh, shoot. Okay. Um, that explains a ton. I, I doubled how much space I, I doubled how much space I'd allowed f- for code. I doubled, I did not double the music space. The music stayed where it was. Because it's awesome. I had <laughs> made, I would made 32 kilobytes for music and that's, that's already a lot for an NES game. I think there's only like ten NES games that had thirty-two oh, kilobytes of so music. Good. So, um, thank you. Just, I'll <laughs> say that. I'm pretty many happy. Times in this contrast. episode, but your music is amazing. Continue. So it already had a lot of music, and it had music for every area of the game that was going to exist. So I did not double that. Part of the reason I didn't double it is because like half the areas didn't exist in the demo. And I'd already made music for them. So oh, I didn't need. To so they, they actually
1: like weren't like planned out. They weren't programmed in some fashion or another. They were just kind of filler material when you got to that screen.
2: Yeah. I, well, so in the demo, you get to the edge of an area and it'll say like uh root zone. Not. in." Yes. In yes. That's so tantalizing. Like that. So <laughs> I had made the uh, tiles for that section. So the graphics were kind of set. The palettes were set. Um, the enemies weren't. Fully fleshed out for any of the demo areas that were not in it. And the boss wasn't ready mm. yet for any of those. So, Hmm but the music was already there yeah. so when you get there you hear the music in just this one screen oh yes and that's all you get <laughs> you gotta stay there to hear it i guess oh i do you know, experience yeah. it as part of the area because the area doesn't exist so in that respect i didn't feel i needed to double the music it already had quite a lot and it was already kind of designed for the end game uh but i doub- i more than doubled the space of the levels Mm. Uh, I doubled the space of the code, and I think eventually I more than doubled it because I stuck it into other places as well. Uh, and then I doubled the space for graphics, which made a lot of room for more subtle things and also for the bosses.
1: Yeah, those bosses have to eat up a ton of graphics. I can't imagine. Well, the I bosses can't I made, looking at them. I can
2: the bosses I them. made for the demo um, were the octopus and the cat. Yeah. And they, they both fit on one one killable kilobyte of graphic space oh wow uh all the bosses i made subsequent to that took like four kilobytes each or something like that like uh i gave myself a lot more room to do stuff with them after i doubled the space (laughs) kind of thing I got to
1: the castle area boss and my wife was just, she was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, but it's so hard. (laughs) I can't beat this. This is
2: not cool right now. Yeah, the frog's got several kilobytes just to itself. I can um, imagine. uh, Because it takes up so much space on the screen.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's one of the largest NES
2: bosses probably ever. It's big. I wouldn't say the largest, but... <laughs> I
1: know you're going to pull out some obscure examples, some Famicom game somewhere, but it's pretty darn big.
0: So, what was it like, you know, the Kickstarter's going along, you double the scope of everything. Like, yeah. what was it like being behind schedule? Uh, did, like, what was... How are you feeling? Like, what kind of feedback were you getting from the community? Like, was it disheartening? Was it irritating? Like, how are Um, you feeling in general?
2: Well, I mean, so for me, it's just the daily feeling that, oh, no, I've wasted another day of basically my own money. Like, I'm not getting any new money from backers by taking longer. So (laughs) they're not helping me anymore. They're only helping me to the point that I thought the budget was reasonable in the first place <laughs> um oh, yeah which was not no. apparently or maybe it was if i was more efficient like that's what i say i'm i'm angry at myself for not being not being able to do what i thought i could do Kind of, you
1: know I but mean? that's only
2: in terms of productivity um, in terms of the
1: finished result that's a separate question we'll ask you in a minute
2: well okay the finished result, I'm very happy with, but uh, in terms of productivity, I am not happy with myself, and I feel like the only consequences the backers have to deal with is having to wait for it, and mm. I I feel that. I know what it's like waiting for something, but... Um, Basically, anyone who came after me about it, I would say, if you want a refund, you can have it. And I gave a few refunds, but most people didn't want a refund. Most people wanted to well, see it. I would literally <laughs> wait another 10 years if
1: it meant what you had envisioned. So <laughs> after four, I was I was okay with well, that. Well, thank
2: you. <laughs> um, but no, I would say it was like, for me, somebody saying you've been taking too long or what's going on. Well, someone saying you've been taking too long is... Easy to deal with because I already agree <laughs> with that, and I I'm already hard on myself for that being like anything they say does not affect me, and that you know I'm I'm already worse on myself for that. It does disarm them right way. It's like oh oh you already feel bad. I'm I'm so sorry. I didn't mean. It. <laughs> take it all asking the The question uh, is harder because I feel like I should answer every question that's asked of me. And I try to, like, I I really make an effort to uh, respond to any question that people do ask me. And sometimes there's just not a good answer. Um, Like, do you want to ask, if you want to ask why the game is taking an extra year or an extra two years, that's a complicated question because (laughs) that's, that's a day to day thing. It's like this thing took four times as long as I I thought it would. And here's why I could explain that, but that'll, delay. that's not the answer they want though. Yeah. Like that's an answer that explains four days and I would have to repeat that answer, you know, a hundred times and it doesn't, you know, you can't do that. (laughs) You can't give someone the day to day rundown of like every expectation that wasn't what you thought it would be. So, um, all I can say is, you know, I'm, it's, it's not, it took me longer than I thought and I'm not as fast as I thought I would be. So it's out you're
1: done. Lizard is now in the hands of people. It can be bought. It is in many ways kind of a chapter that's been closed. Uh, what do you kind of think of the whole experience now? Do you feel good about it? Uh, were you able to accomplish what you wanted to? Do you feel like you made the game you set out to? Um, did you have to kind of curtail anything that mm-hmm. you would have wanted to do better i know a lot of people save things for that sequel folder uh, just sort of what are your final
2: thoughts i would say that the only disappointment i have with lizard is that it took me so long to make um, the finished game i'm very happy with it is very much uh it is very close to the high level idea i had you know four years earlier when i started it um but i'm well <laughs> i would say part of taking so long to do it Um, I feel like it's not as notable a game now as it would have been, you know, say if I'd finished it two years earlier or three years earlier when I thought I could finish it, but failed to
1: every game that, you know, when it's announced, it's much bigger than when it actually comes out because the community has actually been getting much you know, better over the years.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm super optimistic about how the, the NES community has grown and I'm I'm glad about that part of it. Even even though I feel like I missed my optimal timing window for release, but I'm very excited about all the NES games that are coming out. A lot of neat stuff is happening now. Have you had a lot of feedback from people that have played it? Like have they primarily liked it? Like what's your what's the consensus been? Uh it's hard to say what the consensus is in. Like my my grand hope is that Lizard gets accurately described and characterized and the people who would like it can find it. It gets to those people and the people who wouldn't like it are informed and know to avoid it. You know what I'm saying? Like
1: we'll do our best to yeah. spread the word.
2: <laughs> uh, I know people have bought it and be, have been disappointed by it. And I know oh, some people have bought it. Well, I, you know, I don't feel bad i don't feel any scorn towards them like i know any like i was saying about game design decisions like any any decision i make i know it's gonna hurt some people and excite other people so i made this game yeah for a person who is like me in some respects or enough respects that they will enjoy this so that's what i try to do and i and i hope it finds its way to other people like that um that's all I can say. Like, I, I've I've had a lot of negative feedback, and I've had a lot of positive feedback. Um, and I can't say...
0: The fact that you're getting
2: feedback in, at all is like... <laughs> well, okay, yeah.
1: Yeah. Mission yeah, that's, that's awesome. True.
2: Well, that's one thing I, I should say about beta testing. Like, So I did a beta testing period for this, um, but most of the people who beta test are probably also the kind of people who will like it. Um Like, there's a huge bias there. Because, like, beta test, in in the professional world, you would QA, and those people are paid to play your game. Beta test, you can't Mm -hmm. pay someone, so you give them the game... And it's, you hope that the value of playing a new game that nobody's played before is worth something to them. (laughs) And it is worth something. Like, I'm not going to say that's worth nothing. That is definitely worth something. But it also means that they only play it in as much as they are still having fun with it. And they will either, like a lot of people just won't play it because they're like, oh, this is unfinished. I'm not going to play it yet. You
1: got to find the right testers, man.
2: Yeah. And well, and, and a lot of people will play it to the extent where I'll only play it as far as i'm having fun with it and then they'll stop and then a lot of people will play it to the extent where they'll play it but they won't give you any feedback that happens a lot too but that's so, sort of the nature of beta testing this is unpaid labor and anything that comes back is gold for me like i <laughs> i'm super happy to accept every feedback especially negative feedback. I want to know all the places people were having the most trouble with, and it's hard to get that back from people, because basically the people who don't like it, stop playing it, won't talk to you.
0: All right, so you finished Lizard. Um, Obviously, that took quite some time to complete. Is there any desire to sort of jump back into development and make something new now? Or like if you do, is it going to be quite as ambitious? Like, What are your plans now?
2: Uh, I've already started. I have i would say i have three other really compelling ideas for nes games that i want to do and i would say that there is little to prevent them all from happening except uh you know time time, time. <laughs> well we not, were all not thinking e- it. not even money just me dying or something well, something bad happened to me.
1: don't do that your lizard we is not you. the lizard of death I I've got Mine three is.
2: other NES games that I definitely want to make and I will try as hard as I can to make them happen within the next decade.
0: <laughs> That's good yeah. news for all of us.
2: It's um, actually a
1: fairly constrained time goal, considering.
2: <laughs> yes, actually it is. That only gives me, I guess, 3 and a, a third years for each of them, but <laughs> uh I think that should be enough. Um but I mean, in the meantime, I don't know, I might end up going to i might end up finding a, a regular job and working for someone else in the near future it, it depends what happens in the next few months before Kevin, I run that's out what of money. you do yeah i know <laughs> but i work on my games at my work <laughs> True. like when last last job i had i saved up a lot of money and i i've been able to coast on it until now and it's kind of running out so basically i'm gonna i'm gonna press as hard as I can on my current project until I run out of money and then I'll see where I'm at and then I'll either work for someone else or I'll continue doing what I'm doing or I'll run a Kickstarter, see what happens. All right. So we've asked, we've
0: asked the hard questions. We're going to get to the fun questions now. Okay.
2: Um, You can answer
0: these however you want. First question is what is your favorite NES homebrew of all
2: time? Um, I usually say super bat puncher ah so, yes that has a lot Solid of polish it, it, it has a lot of polish it has a great soundtrack um the only downside is it's not a long-term game like it's a game mm-hmm. you can play through in half an hour but it is it's a very good half hour it's, well, it's a
1: demo yeah
2: yeah it's wonderful i don't i don't know i talked to meow i don't know they talked to me after i did my kickstarter and about all the things like they know how much time it would take to make a you know Super Mario 3 length game out of it or whatever oh yeah the thing that makes good on what what it's promising in that half an hour and uh i think they decided just to leave it where it is because it's 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 wonderful where it is um but i'm trying to think like other than that the games have like longer scale legends of valia was very good Mhm. And um the wizard the mad wizard uh candelabra chronicles part 1 i think it was called or something like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Um those two both made a pretty lengthy game that i enjoyed quite a bit.
0: Yeah, that game's awesome.
2: Um the mad wizard is a kind of a good puzzle sort of game, puzzle exploration. I guess it's similar to Lizard but it, it is much more slowly paced. Yeah. There are uh, a lot of
1: similarities there, yeah. Even though Kevin loves one and maybe ambivalent (laughs) on the other. (laughs) (laughs) You don't get quite as lost in that game. There's only a few ways to go. Uh, You you don't get lost if you know where you're going?
0: Well,
2: alas. Alright, we'll move Um, on to question number
0: two. I mean, that's a pretty good answer, unless you want to elaborate more.
2: uh, I don't know. Those Those are sort of my top three, I'd say.
0: So, do you have out of everyone that's sort of doing things in the community, do you have a favorite home
2: brewer of all time? Hmm, I don't think so. Like, I okay. like what Meow's done. I like, I, I like a lot of stuff that Kevin's done. I like,
1: actually, is Kevin?
2: No, not me. <laughs> no. The, inc- the incident was uh, surprisingly good. I'm, I'm actually a big fan of uh, Sokoban transport type games. He's never
1: heard of that term.
2: Um like <laughs> I uh now. I have some favorites in that genre. Like a good snowman is hard to build. I don't know if you played that one. Oh,
1: no, I'll look it up though. That I need my...
2: lengthy titles like that.
0: Is that a PC game?
2: Yeah. It's PC, Android, uh probably some other platforms, but Okay. It's wonderful. Um Alan Hesgelin, I think, is the name of the designer for that. He's done a, a bunch of kind of Sokoban-type games.
1: Ooh.
2: Um, but that, that one Kevin's going to steal of, his levels.
0: Merry Christmas. You're that one is right. the
2: cream of the crop. And actually, that one you could re-implement on NES if you really want All right, to. looking it up now. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's sort of Sokoban with the twist of you can roll snow and make a, a, a large ball a medium ball and a small wall to make a snowman hmm. and then there's like a nega world where you have to solve the snowman in a particular location to uh to, to solve like a meta puzzle it's it's amazing it's i i don't know how to describe it but did you say a naked world nega or like oh okay That's less oh word. void type stuff okay <laughs> Negi- yeah. negative universe i uh, thought you said
1: naked too and i was like um there's snow they don't have clothes, man. Sorry,
2: Negaverse Scars? is probably a Sailor Moon ter- term. I think. Oh, I'm it was with it. you. <laughs> Kevin thinks he's...
1: he's with you, but he's not that hip. Hey, I, I love used to
2: watch Failing any man. anime I could when I was like in high school, <laughs> uh, and Sailor Moon was one of the available things that was, you know, had made it to Canada.
0: One last question. It's by far the most important question. And honestly, if I could only ask one question,
2: <laughs> this would have been
0: the one that I would have asked. Okay people that follow you on twitter maybe early on would have noticed that you are quite the soup
2: connoisseur
1: I'd say um,
2: what is your favorite soup soup connoisseur oh man um tomato soup for sure Oh, are you serious? There is no wrong answer, but I love tomato. Tomato is always (laughs) the wrong answer. (laughs) But um, there there is a YouTube channel called Super Tasters, run by uh Ben McGraw and Jim Crawford. Um, I don't know if you'd know Ben McGraw from. I don't know if he's any released notable games, and I. I feel terrible saying that, but yeah. <laughs> Jim Crawford—he's <laughs> done anything good, but he has made some games. Yes. Um. Well, maybe we could talk about. It. There's there's an RPG engine called Verge, which kind of manifested around like 1997, around the time when I got the internet originally. Like I was dial-up internet at home. The good uh, days.
1: PBS. Oh, that—that no, that was
2: earlier than that. RPG engine. Um. Like, think of it as like RPG maker, but free and not open source at that point. I think it might be open source now, but that's what we had. I was making my own RPG with my own engine. And that was how I was like learning how to make games myself. But oh, I've seen those pictures on Twitter um verge was an rpg engine where they were doing something similar to me and i like fell into the irc community and uh ben regra was a big member of it but there's this uh one called sully which was like the demonstration rpg that came with it which is amazing it's maybe not amazing to look at now but like for the community it was just like the game all of us played (laughs) in like several different versions of it whenever they added a new feature to the engine we would play this game again with the new features in it and find out what was new about the engine um and so ben mcgraw is still making sully uh it is not out yet but he's been working on it for several years and there's, there's going to be like a i think he's making it with game maker or, whatever, or maybe with rpg maker or something like that and there will be a, a sully chronicles rpg that comes out and every every verge member will probably be an instant buy-in but i don't i'm not maybe it'll just like seem like yet another rpg maker game to everyone else but i will love it it's got a lot of good humor in it um and jim crawford the other member of super tasers made frog fractions whom i think people know about frog fractions but if you don't know about it that's wonderful and i recommend just look it up and play it it's a flash game just play it that's all i can say about Frog fractions
1: but soup man
2: soup yeah and they, and soup. they taste soup every week. So oh, yeah, Okay, soup, that was okay. Got it. I I had a soup bowl that I really liked that was melamine. I th-
0: that's what prompted this whole thing, I think. I
1: almost
2: <laughs> sent you a new soup bowl. It was a Kirby one. It was I thought it'd be perfect for you. I still haven't found a replacement soup bowl, I would say. Uh it was a melamine soup bowl I got for $3 at like a Korean bootleg shop. <laughs>
1: the best mm-hmm. in
2: in Toronto um they they just had all these like you know stuff for a dollar or two dollars or three dollars and they just had this soup bowl with a radish on it and I was like this is the right shape I like this shape of bowl and I just had soup in it many times and it was very good uh but then one time I put it in the fridge, and then I was rinsing it in hot water and it, oh, cracked. No. it was, oh. melamine does not, you don't put melamine in the microwave and you don't want to put it in the dishwasher. Really? You want to hand wash it. Um, but it was just going from cold to hot. It cracked. And then I had this cracked bowl and my favorite soup bowl was gone.
1: Man, that was sad. I remember seeing the tweet and just being like, <laughs> this dude has lost something very
2: important to him.
1: <laughs> it was a dark day.
2: I used it a lot. Uh, and I, yeah, I still haven't found a bowl that I like as much as it. I have a big bowl, but it's not same shape or size or fun as <laughs> that radish bowl.
1: Well, shoot. Thank you so much for coming on. Um
2: <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. Oh, it's been like 3 hours, eh? Yeah. Good luck editing it down or <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we are going to listen to I'm sorry, it's it's my favorite. We have to listen to it. It's the root zone theme. It's just it's too good, Kevin. Is that okay? Of course it is, Bo. Anything for you. All right. So here's the Root Zone theme from Lizard.
0: We've had a couple episodes now where we've talked to lots of other people about other games, other projects, other happenings. We haven't really talked about us lately. What are you doing these days? Me?
1: We all know what I'm doing. What I'm perpetually Do doing. I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to build boxes and failing miserably. Fighting the electronic boss. You know, why bother to make games when you could spend all your time making boxes?
0: You know, it sounds like a lot of fun when you're just sending me curse words throughout the day. Like, no context,
1: just fuck. (laughs) You know I don't curse. Yes, never. Often. (laughs) Too often. Anyways, um, the good news is that it looks like that has finally been kind of figured out and that means that I will finally be able to move on in life and I could not be more excited. I'm sure your wife can't be more excited either. (laughs) Uh, she actually thinks this podcast is kind of the biggest waste of time, but, um. Oh,
0: okay. Well, who asked her anyway?
1: (laughs) Not you anymore. (laughs) Nope. Nope but no
0: but uh you've been making some pretty good progress on uh some of your programming too you've sent me some animated gifs some i'm not familiar with that term you know
1: animated gifs gifs GIFs? <laughs> yeah, I actually, you know, MGC, uh, the Midwest Gaming Classic, was a couple months ago and it kind of fell in the midst of some life things and these other episodes that seem to never end. And uh, MGC went really well and I was able to sort of show off some of what I've been working on kind of behind the scenes. I don't normally like to post a lot online, partially because you know, I did this Kickstarter thing and I feel bound by that to only deliver that and nothing more and that 100% of my time should be spent working on that and nothing else and so I tend to just sort of show these things in person And another part of me just doesn't really like to show things online because I don't know. I I don't really know why, but um, I got some good feedback at MGC. I showed parts of Family Vacation. I showed parts of the RPG I've been working on, sort of the stuff that's been brewing over the last year, and I'm not quite sure kind of how it's all going to go together yet. Um, But uh, progress is being made. You know, I, I worked on some things like scrolling. I finally tackled that monster and it wasn't so bad. I was sort of kind of shocked you did some really impressive stuff with uh text boxes and stuff too oh you know i like i can make text boxes all day if somebody would just pay me money to make text boxes i would do that. boxes on boxes on boxes exactly i <laughs> love it yeah yeah, I think... I, I'm excited, man. I think I have to cut all those fancy text boxes that I did, too. They don't actually fit into the game. But, you know, that was only, like, three weeks worth of work. Yeah, but you can rip that out of that game and throw it into another oh, game now. it fits in nothing. Anyways. Uh, what have you been doing, <laughs> Kevin? Oh,
0: man. I've been doing so much. Shock to me. So, you know, I've been working on my Risk clone for a while. I've spent months months and months and months, felt like a data entry person. I was just coding color data, like, you know, the addresses of how to change pixel by pixel line by line, the colors for each tile, depending on who owns that territory. You know, if,
1: you, if this was the licensed era, you just would have shotgunned it, and, I don't know, just done big maps or something that don't change color.
0: I think if this was the licensed era, I wouldn't have done Risk, because <laughs> that's what they decided not to do. Like, it came out for every system, but not Nintendo. Wow. And I'm about to change that, if I can pull this off. Um, but yeah, I've been doing some really cool stuff with Risk, you know, because there are so many unique tiles... On the world map, I'm having to do a lot of tricks with that. And I'm trying to do some tricks with, uh, you know, overlaying sort of sprites on top of the map. Just there's a lot of things that are unique to this game that I haven't had to tackle yet in the various projects I've done uh, that I'm sort of having to figure out along the way, and I've had the help of you, I've had the help of Rob from Sly Dog, I've had the help of Tim, you know, Memblers has piped in now and then, like, it's really nice having the support system of this community and you guys sort of pushing me to to achieve things that I probably wouldn't have tackled on my own, you know, I, I think I have the reputation of maybe taking the easy <laughs> way out um, now and again, so um, doing some things that are taking time is not the norm but i think it's going to pay off um the project's going to be really really good when it winds up being finished
1: and that's the best part of a project
0: though is learning some new stuff it, it is um and honestly you know before this game i never knew how to manipulate actual pixel level data you know on the fly on nintendo so it's uh, it's cool to learn that you know every time you unlock a new secret it's like uh it's like an achievement that you've you know conquered you can add another thing to your repertoire but yeah i've been i've been working on that um and also you know i think i've mentioned that i'm working on an original larry sequel um to my larry, larry game yeah who knows what i'll call it <laughs> i could just call larry. it larry i could call it larry i'm not using leisure suit right right uh, I don't know. I'll get some lawyers on that. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. Um, But Zach from Retrotainment, who did the graphics for the Haunted Halloween series, he's been working on the graphics for that game. So um, every month he sends me more. And uh, every month I am inspired more and more. You know, this month he sent me um, some of the final graphics for chapter one. And, you know, every month I look at them and every month I love them. But this is the first month that I've really taken the time to sort of download them all and look at them all sort of as a compilation of one world, and I'm I'm more excited than ever. It's been great, sort of seeing that. But in addition to all that, you know, I've been sort of getting back into programming. More. Yeah, like I've I'm really inspired lately, man. Like I've been taking the time to stream on Twitch, um, which I've never done before. But I really wanted to sort of play through some of these homebrews. So I've been playing uh, Black Box Challenge. I had the opportunity to beta test Candelabra Estasero from Slide Dog, which is like a, a 3D dungeon crawler. And I didn't even know that I was into these types of games um, until I was just browsing Twitch one night, and I came across this guy that was streaming Swords and Serpents. I had never seen this game before, but he was playing it with such enthusiasm, um, and it just really intrigued me. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna play this. So I, you know, fired it up on my power pack, decided to play through it, I mean, and in playing this game, I sort of developed this love For Dungeon Crawlers. And I remembered that Rob, you know, had worked on one. And it's, you know, I remember it being close to being finished. So I asked him, you know, how close it was and if I could sort of check it out. And that inspired him to sort of polish it up a little bit and finish it. Um, So he sent me sort of a finalized, I don't know how finalized, but a pretty dang finalized ROM. And I played through the game in a series of sittings and I I streamed a lot of it on Twitch. But man, like that game is awesome awesome so i can't wait for the rest of you to to play that what sucks is i think he's not releasing it for a while like he wants to get some other games in the candelabra series out first um, but man, when whenever you finally get the chance to play through this game, I think he did a heck of a job.
1: Yeah, and Rob's masterful vision—you know—you have the rise of Amandus, you have the Mad Wizard, you have Astasero, Candelabra, and then there's like I the don't know, Scarlet 50 other Matron. Matron. Yeah,
0: he's working on a game for every character in the series, and then like a game for every boss like every bad guy like it's really yeah. unique the way he's sort of creating this epic world and you actually learn so much about each individual character um it's gonna be fun to follow along as he gets further along in that series
1: raise your hand if you played D growing up <laughs> i
0: think rob can do that <laughs> yeah um but yeah man it's a great game so yeah that's what i've been doing programming a lot more and uh actually gaming a lot more it's been fun it's weird it's summer you're supposed to be outside right and then we're oh inside. my god it's so hot out there you don't want to go out there
1: No, oh, that's because you're in the hell that is florida yeah there are panthers out there i hear oh man panthers sinkholes uh <laughs> guns everywhere it's florida it's like the <laughs> wild west with panthers and sinkholes. <laughs> it's the best i got yeah
0: well you know it's where i am it's where i chose to be so i guess i can't complain anyways what's been going on in the community these days i mean so much i mean we've been covering the nest of competition episodes for so long that like we got some catching up to do here man so yeah you mentioned you went to mgc that was a good time was it a good turnout there
1: mgc was awesome uh you know Port- normally portland has sort of the reputation for having kind of the most brewers at it or uh, magfest has has a number uh but mgc is starting to get you know there's there's a good number of us there in the midwest you know frank was there he did arm for battle nathan talbert was there he had sort of uh he was selling copies of kind of a sampler cart that he's done it's got a couple of his compo entries the uh, robo ninja climb and spacey McRacy, but it also had sort of a teaser loaded onto it of his uh blaster master metroidvania which was sort of cool it was like man like you threw a demo onto a cartridge you're selling it and people can buy it that's cool like i, I want i want this <laughs> uh, i just i wasn't expecting it so that sort of was neat plus he helped me carry some heavy things that i couldn't lift uh, which is always nice Yep, you Uh, and I both need that help these days. (laughs) Yeah, getting old. Uh, Ferris, he was there, which I was sort of surprised to see him because he's coming all the way from Texas. He was part of our Christmas episode, one of the big homebrew collectors, but always fun to Mm -hmm. talk to. Uh, Kevbot was there with his sort of little arcade cabs. I I say little, but they are physically little, like they're tiny little things. (laughs) <laughs> Did Memblers make it up? Yeah, Joe made it up He brought the whole family, everything and it Always a blast to see him uh, He had some stuff on display He actually brought his whole homebrew collection You could play anything from the Super Bat Puncher demo To, uh, you know, Haunted Halloween 86 uh, He had just kind of everything there You just pop it in man yeah, check it out the uh, speaking of which the haunted halloween guys were there tim uh did tailgate party he was there showing off i mean when he has the space he can do quite the spread he's got you know two tvs two power pads you're chucking bean from like 15 feet away like <laughs> it's, it's a scene man well yeah but i mean that's that's what makes
0: it special like i feel bad when he's i think he was um you know when he went to portland um it didn't seem like he had quite enough space to like fully get the full effect to like show off his game uh, but it seemed like it, up at MGC he he had the space and uh, it, it had a good
1: turnout. Uh, this year two years ago he was in like a, you know we put him uh, width wise in a hotel room which was like 10 feet wide so you're like your hands like hitting the back wall as you're trying to throw over you, <laughs> it wasn't pretty but he still won the award for like most creative project uh, from the actual like show people uh, but it was in a new that's v- awesome. It was in a new venue this year and we had like a giant room. Uh, I'm gonna forget somebody. I always do, but I didn't forget Frank this time, which is great because usually it's him, and I just feel bad every time.
0: Wrecked came out right. That game that Vectrex was working on that was inspired by a Nintendo Age thread about some Walmart fiasco. It turned into a joke that turned into a game that turned into a movie game
1: about a joke. Oh, it turned into a movie. Yeah, movie. It's got Bob Hoskins in it. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, this is the second. <laughs> second game sorry i am still trying to dwell on who i forgot at mgc but uh but you your jokes are so good
0: though. i I don't
1: know how you're multitasking at this level solid notes sir notes um (laughs) yeah wrecked came out it's the second game that that vectrix has done based on kind of i don't want to say inflammatory the first one was inflammatory i don't know if this is inflammatory but like So inflammatory that it was banned from
0: Magfest.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, that one was. That was the cornball. Yeah, the other one. Yeah, that was that was inflammatory in multiple ways. Anyways, uh, Rekt was (laughs) just kind of dumb. Some dude just kind of like went off the handle about a stupid situation that really was like, well, duh. But you know, Vec with his creative young man's mind, and he's Swiss. Um kind of made up this whole game and he doesn't like make i mean he's made some simple games in the past he did Commie killer i guess was another one that wasn't a forum thread that was like some weird guy he saw give a presentation so he puts a giant version of his head into a game and you shoot it and he shoots you That's know nice communist symbols at you. I don't know. It was was weird. And then, you know, Cornball got a little more complicated, kind of like a sliding shooter. But Wrecked, like, has like four different game states. It's got almost dual controller action. He should have put that in, but he didn't. And, you know, it's got platforming. It's, It's just got a lot. Like, it's sort of surprising. He kind of, you know, really for it being kind of a dumb joke thread, really put a lot of work into it. And kind of, you know, he just keeps making better and better games each time. Yeah. And it's interesting,
0: almost as a sociological experiment to watch, because it seems like the games that he's making about the community sell really well. They do. Like People get very, very excited about them. So it's interesting to watch and it's a little I don't know it's 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 I have complicated emotions <laughs> about it because you know those it's of us that are Cameron. making these and you're very right I mean when it, when it when you boil down to it that's exactly what it is you know you and I we we put our heart and soul into these like passion projects and then this joke comes up on Nintendo Age and Vex like hey I'm going to make a game about that and like he's posting updates and people are getting excited and we're like hey like what about us but it's great. Like, hats off to him. Like, he has the capability of making something out of that that turns into, like, an actual good game. Like, good for him. Um,
1: I'd do it, too, if I could. Another game that's recently come out was Lucky Penguin. Uh, that's finally made it out. I know that was sort of one that I was kind of supposed to help with, but that kind of fell through. But... The game has still seen the light of day, and it has now been released. I think copies are being shipped to backers, not backers, because it wasn't a Kickstarter. It was an auction deal online. Copies are being shipped to bidders. And yeah, I think it, it turned out pretty well. Uh, that was Marcelo and Lucas. They sort of tag-teamed that, and yeah, came up with a pretty good game. Yeah, I've talked about it before, and I'm, I'm glad that people are finally getting a chance
0: to play it, because uh, it is a cute little puzzle game.
1: Yeah, cute is definitely a word for it.
0: Um, so, this gentleman named Chris, uh, who goes by CPP Chris, CPP online, he's released this really cool tool called um, NES Starter Kit. And it's sort of like a quick start guide to make like a, a little Zelda type adventure game if you can program in C. Um, it's sort of like an alternative to. Um, I know NES Maker. You know it had the big Kickstarter, and people have been talking about it. NES Starter Kit is out, so you can actually download it for free, play around with it, and actually release um some cool little games. So if you want to check that out, you can find that on Nintendo Age, probably on Nest Dev too. But yeah, just search for NES Starter Kit.
1: Some other big news in the community has been the fact that, I think it was back in episode two or three, we played some music that Derek from Gradual Games had been doing for an unnamed project. It is named. He has named it. But he has has also revealed footage of it in action. Yeah. Be sure to find his Twitter, what, who's it page or whatever, and <laughs> look for the game called Trophy. It is kind of a Mega Man-esque game, and it looks amazing. Yeah, he's been working on
0: that for a long time. Um, oh, and yes, with him, yes, he has. I mean, but he knows it, and that's why it's literally the name of his company, Gradual Games. He'll gradually get it out, but yeah, you can really tell that he's put some time into this game. Uh, It looks very solid from the gameplay video, so I'm excited to finally check that out. Uh, I think he said it's getting decently close to being, I don't know if it's released or in beta, like some sort of playable version is supposed to be, I think he said this year sometime.
1: Uh, I've learned with Derek that when Derek starts to actually publicly talk about a game, it's pretty much done. <laughs> um, we're very close, like within a year, year and a half of being out the door completely. He did that with Alia and it was just like, oh man, when is this going to be over? And it was like, oh, it's here already. Wow, that was cool.
0: <laughs> and last but not least, um, a lot of donations have been rolling in for from sponsors uh, for the NES Spectrum Marathon that I'm going to be putting on in September. I really want to take the time to thank all of you for doing that. I can't tell you how much it means uh, to have the support of the community behind me. I really want to do your games justice and kind of show them off to the world. You know, doing it from someone who makes them, I think, is going to be sort of special. And giving them away, you know, to put them in people's houses that maybe aren't as exposed to these uh, as the rest of us. Uh, it's going to be nice. So, um, we're going to do that in September. I want to say it's September 7th through 9th. Um, so, yeah, if you guys want to check that out, I'll be streaming it on Twitch. We're gonna be playing games for fifty plus hours uh, to raise money for autism research. That is a lot of hours. It is, man. But it's gonna be it's gonna be great.
1: I guess I'm not hip to these new things that you kids do, and so I'm I didn't realize you'd be playing for that long. Wow.
0: Well, I mean, we're gonna do it in shifts. You know, I'm not oh. gonna be staying awake for that long. That would be ludicrous.
1: Huh. That's good to know. Yeah, you will be
0: able to turn on our Twitch channel and watch gameplay being played for 50 plus hours uh, to raise money. So yeah, check that out. Um, Anything else you want to touch on, Bo?
1: Nope, you go ahead with the regulars. Okay.
0: As always, we want to thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, you can email us at nesassemblyline at gmail dot com. Ask us questions, we'll answer them on a future episode. If you want to learn more about Bo or I, or send us any questions or feedback directly, I can be found on Twitter at a ton of glaciers, Bo of of course, can be found at Soul Goose. We're on there pretty regularly, um, and the community is growing every day. It's it's a very special time to be involved in this stuff. And you can always join Nintendo Age uh, if you want to get interested. Uh, if you want to get interested. If you want to learn more about homebrew, get involved, learn to program yourself. There are tutorials. You can do graphics. You can do music. There's room for you in this community if you have the least amount of interest. Um, so come on in. Uh, the water's fine. Um, but as always... We appreciate you. Did I miss anything?
1: Can I just say it's weird to not do a three-hour episode? <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I say that?
0: you can and i wholeheartedly agree it's nice to uh, get oh, yeah. in and out that's yeah. what she said
1: okay so yeah we're gonna uh, kind of close this episode with some music from franken graphics you might know her as the artist extraordinaire from project blue inherent smile gift of discernment a few others that are kind of in the works and around the community not to mention the fact that she does amazing level design like in project blue and yeah she also does music what doesn't she do yeah it's not fair man these people are too dang talented this uh this track was is from her it can be found on her blog where she kind of details her experiences of learning to do art music programming you name it uh for the nes which you know seeing as how she started just a year or two ago is kind of inspiring Uh, it's like wow i should have used my time better but uh Uh, This is uh, kind of a gothic-themed track, so here it is, untitled track number three. Thanks, guys. See you next time.